All right, we're in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's what we're going to try to unpack tonight. Now, as we look at the characteristics that we're to put on, we must remember what we learned last time. And now if some of you say, wait a minute, it's been a few weeks. All right, well, let me remind you. We learned last time that God is the one who is going to produce in and through us the desired results. It is we who must choose, remember, we must choose to let Him do so by faith on a daily or hourly basis. Look at Colossians chapter 3 here. Look at verse 17. It says, And whatever you do, in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything, we have, everything we're to do, whether it's word or deed, we're to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through Jesus. Now, we're going to deal with that in the name of Jesus for a little bit. Because it's important for us to grasp that as we get into the rest of the study. Go to John chapter 16 and look at verses 23 and 24. There's been some confusion over the years and some bad teaching over the years on in Jesus' name. And I hope to take a second here to kind of clear that up a little bit. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. Look at what Jesus says. He says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So Jesus now gives us a little clue here, and he says, in that day, you can, you can ask in my name. Up to now, you haven't asked anything in my name, but in that day, you can ask the Father in my name. Well, what is that day? Well, back up to John 14. He's already clarified that day for us. In John chapter 14, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, and because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. So what is the day that he's talking about? Not the resurrection. After his resurrection, when the Holy Spirit came to indwell the believers. In that day, you're going to know that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. So what Jesus is referring to here when he's talking about in that day, he's talking about the time when his spirit came to indwell the believers. Now, when does that happen for us? We weren't there at Pentecost. When does that happen for us? When does the Holy Spirit come to indwell us? On the day of salvation, the day that we trust him as our Savior, he comes to indwell us and puts his spirit within us. Now, go back now to John 16, remembering now what in that day refers to. Let's read verse 23 and 24 again. In that day that day that the Spirit comes to indwell us, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Remember what Jesus was doing. His purpose was to come to the earth and to do what we could not do, which was live without sin, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for sin, so that we would be able to receive forgiveness and we would be reunited with our creator. Remember, we were created in the image of God, male and female, but because of sin, we were separated from God. And because of that, sin passed on to all mankind and we're all born spiritually dead. It wasn't that we were spiritually alive when we were born as babies and then we died at some point. We're born spiritually dead because of the sin of Adam passed on. Now, I've heard one, people, one person say, well, I don't think it's right that I should be held accountable for Adam's sin. Oh, let me tell you, you want to be accountable for Adam's sin because there's some really good news in that. See, if you can be accountable because of one man's sin, you can be made righteous because of one man's righteousness. Isn't that cool? I want to be accountable because of Adam's sin. Because if by one man's sin I was made a sinner, the Bible says because of one man's righteousness and my faith in what he's done, I can be considered righteous. And now in that day that our sins are forgiven and he puts his spirit within us, now we have been what? United with the Father and we can ask the Father anything because of Jesus. And that's what it means to be or doing things in his name. There have been those who tried to teach that you have to say the magic words in Jesus' name. No, it's not what it's saying. There are some that say you have to be baptized and they have to say the words in Jesus' name. No. It's just simply meaning that you are in Christ and He's in you. On that day, you'll realize that I'm in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you. And because of our union with Christ, because of what Jesus has done and God giving it to us by grace, we are now a child of God and because of Jesus, we are able to go straight to the Father. Now, listen again to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, doing or asking anything in Jesus' name is to do or, or ask things because of our union with Christ and through Christ's power. Now, let me just point out to you, we're not going to turn there. You can't do anything in Jesus' name if you don't have any union with Him. There were those in Matthew 7, you can look at it later on, verses 21 through 23, who said, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And what did Jesus say? Depart from me, I never knew you. In his name is not a magic phrase. You are not doing something in the name of Jesus because you say in the name of Jesus. You only have that authority if you are in Christ and he is in you. Do you understand? Many will say, didn't we do it in your name and in your name? And God says, I never knew you. So understand now, first of all, that as we start looking at what it means to do things in Jesus name, it first of all has to start with, are you in Christ through faith in Jesus Christ? Has he put his spirit within you, marking you as his? Now, anything or asking anything in Jesus' name also means to ask for things in line with God's will for us. See, just because you're a child of God doesn't mean you get to call the shots now. There are some people that try to teach that because of our union with Christ, we can just name it. That's not what the Bible teaches. You've heard me talk on this before. I'll just remind you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that even though everything has been subjected to Jesus Christ, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Even though all authority has been given to Jesus, is he exercising his full authority? No, he's waiting for the time that the Father allows him to rule and reign and take over the earth. And if Jesus, who has all authority, is not exercising full authority at this time, neither can we just claim any authority. But there is authority that God's given us. But we need to understand what the will of God is. Go with me to 1 John chapter 5. 
1 John chapter 5, look at verses 14 and 15. First John 5, 14, it says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Let me read it to you again. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. What he's saying is, is this. When you ask the Father, if it's in line with His will, you got it. So now, don't you think the important thing is knowing the will of God? Well, we got to be able to hear and to know the will of God, we got to understand something else first. And it's very important that we understand what Jesus prayed in the garden. Before Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours, what had He just prayed? Take this cup from me. In other words, Father, here's my will. I now lay it down. See, for many of us, and I've been a pastor for 20 years, been preaching for 30. But for the, for the 20 years that I was a pastor, I dealt a lot with people who would say, I just want what God wants. And I knew that wasn't true. They had an agenda. They knew how to say the right words, but dealing with them, you knew they had an agenda really was what their will was. They said, I just want what God wants, but they already had in mind what they wanted. And folks, let me just tell you, you and I both will not be able to know the will of God in any situation until we acknowledge first what our will is and then lay it down. Because a lot of times our will clouds our ability to hear the will of God. Because we want it so bad. I've heard one person put it this way. I believe it so strongly, God must believe it too. <laughs> Serious. I believe it so strongly, God must believe it too. Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. James says, what causes quarrels and, and, and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so that you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. What's the root of all this? The passions that are at war within us. And this is going to go where we're going to go tonight as we get into psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. As we start getting into worship and the difference fighting of, over worship styles in the church, and Lord willing, we'll get there tonight. But what I want you to understand is, is part of the problem is for us to be people to know the will of God and to believe the will of God and to do the will of God and experience His power through us, we first have to daily understand that even though in my inner man I desire to do the will of God, as Paul says, I got a problem. My flesh is right there with me, waging war. And so why does the Bible say that we're to do on a daily basis according to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? I therefore beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God to what? Present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. In other words, Jesus put it this way. Whoever's going to be my disciple must deny himself. All that means is acknowledge, here's what my flesh wants. And that's going to war against the spirit at all times. Here's what my flesh wants. I lay that down. You can't lay it down until you acknowledge it's there. 
So don't be super spiritual and say, I just want what God wants. Hey, you're as human as I am. We all got wants. We all got preferences. Acknowledge your preference. Acknowledge your desire. Lay it down so that you then will be able to hear the will of God. And when you hear the will of God, ask him for it, believing that he'll do it and watch him come through. I know this. I've experienced it, and God has, has proven it over and over. When I stopped trying to help him, and I started to believe that stuff he said in here was true, he loves to show off on behalf of, those, his, of his kids. Let me ask you a question. Those of you that have kids, don't you have a desire within you to just give them stuff? I mean, don't you? I have the biggest struggle at Christmas time because everything I see, I want to I buy it for my kids. I don't have that kind of a bank account, but I would love to buy them stuff. And, and then one day I was wrestling with that, and God said, where did that come from? Is that a natural human thing to be generous, to give to others, or is the human fleshly desire to be the receiver? And then what did Jesus say? He said, if you who, know how, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father? Folks, let me just tell you, I won't get into this because it'll derail us too much, but most Christians today have no idea how generous God is. And we, we live as paupers when we're children of the King. I'm not moving into health and wealth. I'm not naming into God wants everybody a millionaire and nobody sick. The Bible doesn't teach that. Because the Bible teaches that some of the greatest times of growth are through times of struggle and through times of suffering. But at the same time, we a lot of times have never even thought to ask God for good things. Because we just assumed he wouldn't do it. So as we move into, go back to Colossians chapter 3. Actually, I want you to turn to Ephesians 5. As we move into looking at Colossians chapter 3 via Ephesians 5, I want you to understand that the scripture, this section that we're looking at, is saying that we're to be doing everything we do in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. We're to be living in such a way that we're trying to stay in constant contact with Him, knowing the will of God, sensing the leading of the Spirit, and in doing so, believing that God's going to do what He's put on our heart that He wants to do. Too many of us have turned the book of uh, uh, the Bible into a set of rules that we're to follow, and then we fight with each other over whether or not you're following the way I think you're supposed to following them. But the Bible actually isn't a set of rules for us to follow. The Bible is a book that's been written by God to reveal us who God is. And as you understand, even in the Old Testament, God was trying to teach them to listen to Him. Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm the one that led you in the wilderness. I did it to cause you to, I caused you to be hungry and thirsty. I did it to humble you, to test you, and to teach you the man lives by every word that comes from the breath of the Lord, from the mouth of the Lord. Also, at the same time, every time God led the nation of Israel or anybody in the Bible to do something, the method he chose each time was different. Why? He was trying to teach them to listen to what I want you to do now. Learn how to listen to me. Learn how to follow me. All the way through, led of the Spirit, Philip went over to the chariot. Led of the Spirit, he left Samaria. Led of the Spirit. Folks, there is an element of the Christian life that God wants us to be able to recognize. He's come to live within us. And in that day, you're going to realize that I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father. And in that day, you haven't been able to ask anything according to my name because you've been separated from the Father. But oh boy, once that's taken care of on the cross, you can be able to ask God stuff and he'll do it. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. So we're seeking the will of God. Look at verses 12, 15 through 21. Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 21. It says, look carefully then on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best of use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And he says, and don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. By the way, doesn't that sound familiar? Once again, he brings out this psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We'll hopefully get there in a little bit. But what's the will of God according to this passage right here? Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is it? That we'd be filled with the Spirit. And a lot of us don't understand this because we don't really understand the Greek. Let me help you. That's my role. It's in a command. It's in the imperative. It's be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me help you out there. That's not an option. If it's a command of the Lord, it's not an option, but there's more to it. It's not just in the imperative. In the Greek, it's also in the present tense. It's a be being filled. It's a continual thing that happens. It's not something that happens when you go to a special service and you get filled with the Spirit. This is a be being filled. This is a daily thing. This happens as we yield to the Spirit of God who lives within us and we say no to our flesh and we daily put it on the altar as a living sacrifice. We daily deny ourselves and we say, Lord, I want you to live in control of my life. You already live within me. I want you to be in control. I want you to control my thoughts and my actions in everything, whatever you do, whether word or deed. Do it all in the name of Jesus. Here's the will of God that you be being filled with the Spirit. All right. And then he goes on and says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, why, would, why in the world would Paul use getting drunk with wine tied to being filled with the Spirit? Now, I'm going to ask for some help from some of you, because I don't have this in my background. Some of you might. <laughs> Anybody ever here, and I'm not asking for confession time here too much, but uh, for those of you in the room who have been filled with the other kind of the spirits, <laughs> did you ever say... I don't know who did that, but that wasn't me. That was the alcohol talking. In other words, what Paul's saying is, in the same way in which you used to let the alcohol take control, let Jesus take control. Let the Holy Spirit that lives within you, who is Christ, take control. It's, oh, by the way, you didn't stay drunk unless you what? Kept drinking. Jesus said in John chapter 7, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of him will flow rivers of living water. Uh, many of us as Christians, if I were to ask you, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? You'd say yes. Have you been given the Holy Spirit? You would say yes. Does he live within you? You'd say yes. And if I were to say, have you learned to continually drink of him, or have you only drank once and hope that that's enough? Many of us would say the whole idea of continually learning to drink of him on a daily basis was never taught. We were taught, trust him, he puts his spirit within you, and then you go do the best you can for God. That's not what the Bible teaches. We are to be being filled. It's a daily thing. It just simply means under the control of the Holy Spirit. And you will learn as you begin as a baby to take baby steps in this area, you'll learn to recognize when the Spirit of God, even just simply on a simple little illustration, might just say, don't say that right now. When your flesh wants to say something in retaliation and you begin to recognize the Spirit says, just, just hold it. But Lord, it, okay. And little by little, you'll learn to recognize. And then on top of that, out of you will start coming good stuff. 
that you hadn't even thought about. It just came out. And you were like, who was that? It was Jesus. What does the scripture say? These men, these apostles, when they were filled with the spirit and they were preaching and teaching, what did everybody say? These men have been with Jesus. They didn't understand the filling of the spirit. They just said, boy, these guys are talking a lot like Jesus. It's a fun study for another time. But you compare the same Peter that says, don't know him, never heard of him, and cussing to say he doesn't know Jesus. And then just a few chapters later, after the Spirit comes to indwell him, it said Peter, filled with the Spirit, got up and he started to preach and say stuff. And I'm not kidding you. You read it. And if I said to you, Jesus was saying this, you'd agree because it sounds just like what Jesus said. And I can guarantee you, Peter walked back into the upper room and said, guys, I don't know who that was. They said, we know who it was. That wasn't you. That was Jesus. And folks, this is something that God has for you and I. And has any promise that he would start it and finish it? Has any promise to conform us into his image? Don't think that a special miraculous service is all that's going to make you super Christian. You got saved. He gave you his spirit. Now he wants you to learn how to let him have control on a daily basis. And you'll start to see it happen. All right. It's tied to the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God's will for us is to be united in love. Go back to Colossians. Colossians chapter 12, sorry, chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then he goes on in to let the word of Christ dwell in you in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll get to there in a little bit. What is God asking us to put on? We ended with this the last time we were together, and we looked at it from the angle of, this is who God is. But now this is what he's wanting to produce in and through us. Go back here. What does he want? Compassion. Compassionate hearts. What else? Kindness. Humility. Meekness or gentleness. Patience. Then bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. Do you see this? He's saying now, okay, we already looked at putting off this old stuff, the fleshly struggles. Now I want you to put it on. How do we put it on? By yielding to the Spirit, which means by faith, believing that God will. As I yield to the Spirit of Christ, who is in me and in you, and who is going to want to be producing these things, the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Does that list sound a little familiar to what we're reading here? All this is is the evidence that the Spirit of Christ is in us and that we've let Him take control. Folks, this is not for us to judge whether or not a person is saved. That's not to be our judgment. That the Bible says that God will take care of that at the end. Yet we can recognize whether or not the Spirit of Christ is acting through you. You understand what I'm saying? When I get in the flesh and you get in the flesh, and we act in ways that aren't like this, you shouldn't say, well, I don't think that Jim Johnson guy is really saved. Don't even go down there. It's not your call. That's the Lord's call. But I can tell you this much. 
Why did Jesus say to Peter, get behind me, Satan? He had just recognized who was really doing the talking at that time. And folks, in those days and at those times when we allow the flesh to have control, all we need to do is not beat ourselves up, but stop and say, Lord, that isn't what you desire of me. And I can't stop doing it unless you take over. Lord, thank you that you've already forgiven me for that. And then we walk in obedience to what God says and we go ask that person to forgive us. Why? Because that wasn't the Jesus in me talking. That was me talking. And over time, he gets to take control and he begins to transform us. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 4. But I'm going to start in verse 3. Because I want to go back to verses 1 and 2 for a reason to help you grasp this section. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, but I'm going to start in verse 3. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, and let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. All right? Here are the instructions. We're to consider other people more important than ourselves. We're to do nothing out of our selfish ambition or what we want. And we're to treat each other with humility. Anybody here capable of doing that in their own strength? Well, Paul didn't expect you to do it in your own strength either. Go back to verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. And then he goes on and gives the instructions. This life of doing other things in humility and not out of selfish ambition, this life of considering others more important than ourselves. How does that come out? It comes out if we have any encouragement from being united with Christ any fellowship with His Spirit, any comfort from His love. In other words, folks, the love of Christ cannot spill out of me onto you until I have received it myself. You know the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that He's given. Romans chapter 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Yet we keep trying to earn His approval. When we sin, we beat ourselves up and say, I won't do that again. And what a failure I am. And what a sinner I am. No, you're a new creation that still sins because of the flesh. But you are not a sinner if you're a child of God. You have been made new. The old is gone. The new has come. Yes, we still sin because of this body of flesh that we're in. But we need to understand by living out of the new nature. And we then need to understand that in those times that we sin, it's just that we yielded to the spirit. I'm sorry, to the flesh instead of the spirit. But don't beat yourself up. Because God doesn't. I've told you before, but I want to just remind you of it. When Jesus pointed out to Peter that he was going to deny that he even knew him, he called him by his new name. And that's just one of the most profound things that has just jumped off the scriptures at me. When Jesus meets Peter for the first time, he says, you're Simon. One day you will be called Peter. Later on. When Jesus says, who do men say that I am? They list all these different people. And then he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. 
Man didn't open your eyes. My father's opened your eyes. Listen to what he says next. And you are Peter. The same Jesus that said one day you're Simon right now, but one day you're going to be the new man. He says you are Peter right now. And upon this profession of your faith is what I'm going to build my church. When he said upon this rock, you're a rock man and on this rock I'll build my church. He wasn't building it on Peter because when he said on this rock, it was in the feminine in the Greek, which means the profession of his faith, not Peter himself. Oh, but later on, after Jesus already said, you're now Peter, Jesus calls him by his old name, Simon, Simon. Now, was Jesus having a senior moment? Did he forget? No. We're all a new creation, but sometimes we look like the old us, don't we? Listen closely. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you all in the Greek. It's in the plural. He is asked to sift you all for, as wheat. And I prayed for you, singular. I prayed for you, Peter. Or I called him Simon. I prayed for you, Simon. Listen. That your faith won't fail. And when you return, strengthen the brothers. Peter says, I don't know about the rest of these bums, but I'm willing to go to prison and death for you. And I love this. Listen to this. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter. Before the rooster crows, tomorrow morning, you're going to deny you know me three times. Did you catch it, folks? He called him by his new name. Even though he knew he was going to fail, even though he knew he was going to act in the flesh, even though he knew he didn't have the power of the Spirit yet to give him the ability to do this, even though he was the new creation, Jesus said, I still see the finished product. And folks, it's not until we fully understand the love of Christ for us that we can receive it and pour it out on those around us. The problem with the church today, listen closely, is that we have not been taught that we have been forgiven much. You say, wait a minute, how, how's that tied together? Remember when Jesus went into this house of this Pharisee, Simon, and this lady who was the prostitute came and cried on Jesus and washed his feet with her hair and her tears? And this Pharisee Simon thought to himself, if this man really were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman was touching him. And Jesus says, Simon, let me ask you a question. These two people owed a, a debt. One owed a big debt, one owed a little debt. The master forgave them both. Which one's going to love him the most? And the Pharisee thinks, and he goes, well, the one that was forgiven the greater debt. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. For those who have been forgiven little, love little. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Now, hang on for a second. Jesus says, those who have been forgiven little, love little. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. But didn't Jesus say in James chapter 2, verse 10, that if you're able to keep the whole law, yet stumble at just one point, you're guilty as if you broke it all. Right? So is there anybody that's been forgiven more than anybody else? Not if we're guilty as if we broke it all. Then what was Jesus saying? Listen closely. He was saying those that realize they've been for, or think they've been forgiven little, love little. Those who realize they've been forgiven much, love much. And most of the people in our churches today grew up on the cradle roll, were baptized as a young child, grew up in Sunday school and discipleship, and they don't realize, oh, they're forgiven. But they think they've been forgiven little. They don't realize the depth of their sin, even at six or eight or ten, that when God saved them, they were just as guilty as the axe murderer. And folks, it's finally when we start to understand that not only have I been forgiven, even though I got saved in 1973 at eight years old, I was forgiven much. 
Oh, and you want evidence? I got the evidence. I still deal with this body of flesh and the temptations I struggle with from that day forward. And I thank God he saved me at eight years old. Because I can promise you, if he hadn't, I would really know that I'd been forgiven much. <laughs> Actually, I know now I've been forgiven much because I still struggle with the same things. But now I'm under grace. But when I understand his love for me, if I have encouragement from being united with Christ, comfort from his love, fellowship with the spirit, then I can consider others more important than myself. Not deal with selfish ambition, but actually just pour his love out onto the people around us. So today is not a time for us to judge whether or not we're good or bad. But now let me ask you, when people bump into you, when people have encounters with you, when people see you and it's not at Bible study or at church when you're wearing your suit and tie, but it's in the grocery store or in the line, kind of like that. You know that lady, some of you might follow sports, that one sportscaster for ESPN who had her car towed. <laughs> she had a bad day, didn't she? On camera. When you have your bad day and it's not on camera, but other people see it. What do people see? I'm not saying are you saved or not saved. That's up to the Lord and you. I'm saying, have they seen someone that has learned to live in the spirit, manifesting the love and the joy and the peace? If they haven't seen it, put it on. God's not here to beat you up. He still sees the new you. He sees the new creation. He's not mad. He just says, put it on. Well, how do I put it on, Lord? Believe that I will do it and ask me to do it. Do you see it now? Have we come full circle yet? Do you guess where we're going? You haven't asked for anything in my name. But now, because of your union with me, because of my spirit within, being within you, I've already told you what to ask for. It's not a Winnebago. He may give you one. That's fine. Ask him for humility. Ask him for compassionate hearts. Ask him for forgiveness, gentleness, patience, meekness. Too many times people say, oh, don't ask God for patience. Folks, I love you. Stop. Because oh, if you ask God for patience, you know he's going to put you through stuff. No, no, no. He said he would give it to us. We don't have to earn it. Yes, the trials produce patience as the Spirit of God does it. But it's just that it manifests itself in those times. You don't have to earn patience and then you can show it. It's something he'll give you. And it, during those trials, it'll be evident that his Spirit's within you because of patience. So, folks, you want to start the baby steps of asking in his name and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Why don't you begin to say, Lord, thank you that you are going to give me a compassionate heart because I believe you will. Father, thank you that you're going to give me kindness and humility and meekness and patience in your time. Because actually in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, after having been saved, let us add to our faith gentleness, kindness, Goodness, self-control. This is going to be a process. This is going to be a journey that he takes you through. But folks, let me ask you to believe that he'll do it. Oh, and one other thing. Believe that he's going to do it for everybody around you too. And believe that they're going to be on different schedules than you. And you don't get to determine the schedule. I would have thought Chris would have been further along by now. 
Who are we to judge? Someone else's servant. Romans 14 says, don't judge someone else's servant. To his own master he stands or falls. Listen to Romans 14, 4. And the Lord will make him stand. Because the Lord is able to do it. And so, folks, if we would get away from our preferences and becoming the judge of whether or not we think everybody ought to be doing it, how they ought to be doing it, and just say, Lord, you have given me great salvation. You've forgiven me much. I want you to just spill it out through me, and I believe you will. Watch what begins to happen. Watch what begins to happen. Now, isn't it ironic that in the same context of humility towards each other and bearing with one another, that Paul speaks of worship music. Has anybody ever caught that yet? In this same context of bearing with one another, forgiving one another, thinking of others first, that he talks about in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The sad thing is this tends to be one of the greatest areas of fighting in our churches, is it not? I mean, the Bible doesn't even talk a whole lot about singing and music, especially in the New Testament. But the two places that it does, it's in the full context of us all being in harmony. Isn't that the word that they use here? Look at the end of verse 14. Above all, put, the, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect what? Harmony. harmony. There's supposed to be harmony in our churches when it comes to our worship and our music and our singing together in praise to the Lord. Yet it has become the greatest area of division. Preachers have for years jokingly said that when Satan fell from heaven, he landed in the choir loft. <clears throat> Who knows what the music ministers say about us, but... Folks, what I want to do tonight is I want to walk you through what this is actually saying. Because actually, what has been taught in a lot of places, and I did a lot of research and a lot of study on this. In a lot of places online, you see lazy exegesis. Lazy study of the scriptures. And a lot of people out there online will say, well, there's psalms and there's hymns like Amazing Grace. And there's spiritual songs like Hillsong and all the praise choruses. When Paul wrote this. The Wesleys hadn't even been born for a thousand years. All the great hymn writers did not exist. That's lazy Bible study, reading what we have now back into the scriptures instead of letting the scriptures speak for themselves. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a look at what does it really say when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. All right. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. But before I go into that, I want to point out one more thing. Division in the church over preferences is nothing new. Division in the church over preferences is nothing new. It's not a good thing, but it's been there from the beginning. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 10 through 12. First Corinthians chapter one, verses 10 through 12. 
Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. First of all, when I read that, I could picture Chloe's household saying, Paul, we told you that in confidence. <laughs> We didn't want you to say anything. We wanted, we were just telling you so that you knew how to pray. You know? Look at what's going on in the church there. They were splitting up and dividing each other over who they thought was the best preacher. Don't we do that today? Well, I like so-and-so. He's better than so-and-so. Oh, so-and-so's preaching this week? Nah. I'd rather hear so-and-so. We're focusing on the individual that God uses instead of God. Let me ask you a question. Um, whom did God use to preach to Balaam? A donkey. I can promise you, if you made a sign or advertised in that local town that this donkey's going to be preaching, I don't think they would have, well, maybe it might have filled the church. I don't know. But, but God was able to use a donkey to communicate his truth. If you walk into whatever place that you're going to go hear the word of God and you walk in believing that God is able to speak even through someone that you might not think might be, quote unquote, as gifted as this other person. But you think God can speak to me. It'll change your attitude toward person worship. Go to chapter three, first Corinthians chapter three. Look at verses one through four. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Folks, do you realize that when we fight with each other over worship, over music styles, over preferences, all we're really doing is showing whether or not the Spirit of Christ is allowed to be in control in our lives. Because the Bible over and over and over says, consider others more important than yourselves. Yet what do we say when it comes to music? I don't like the music. I had, when I was pastor here, a lady confront me one time and she said, you keep saying that we do Blended. But I've kept track. <laughs> and I've got all the bulletins for the last two, three months. And I wrote down him, praise chorus. It ain't blended. There's 70% praise choruses, 30% hymns. I said, you're on. Meet me in the, in the conference room. Took this lady into the conference room. Went and grabbed one of the secretaries because we had all the programs from all the services on file. I said, give me the last three months. We brought them out. We sat down in the conference room, just me and her. And I used the dry erase board. I said, I tell you what, even though I love your Lord is old enough that it could be a hymn, we're going to still call it a chorus. And let's go through everything now. And we went through three months of services. And I said, hymn or chorus? She goes, hymn. Hymn or chorus? Hymn. Hymn or chorus? Chorus. And when we were all done, it was actually 70% hymns, 
30% choruses. I told this lady, I said, the problem is this. When we sing one chorus, you hate them so much. In your mind, it seems like we sang 10 of them. <laughs> but let me show you something else. Go back to Colossians. We're lazy when we do Bible study and we think that this is talking about psalms and hymns and praise choruses. Because like I just said earlier, at the time Paul wrote this, there were no such things that we would call hymns. What did they have? They had the psalms. And actually, when you're about to see as we break this down, this is actually talking about the psalms. But there's different types of psalms. Some psalms, well, psalms itself in the Greek is the word psalmois. It is, couldn't be just interpreted the whole book, 150 psalms. But within the psalms, some are hymns, hymnois, and we'll talk about those in just a second. And also within the psalms, some could just be considered songs. So it's not talking about psalms, amazing grace, and I love you, Lord. That's lazy Bible study. Because at the time, all they had was the psalms. And this is actually talking about those three different types of psalms. The, the Greek word psalms, translated psalms, refers basically to the book of psalms, especially the ones with musical accompaniment. There are some people, by the way, that in some denominations say that you're not even allowed to use musical accompaniment. They say because nowhere in the New Testament is there musical accompaniment. And so because of that, they've made a rule that you can't use musical instruments. Everything has to be done a cappella. By the way, that's horrible Bible study because does it anywhere in the Bible say you're not to use instruments? Does anywhere in the Bible say that instruments are a sin? But they say because it's not mentioned, you can't use them. There's a lot of stuff that aren't mentioned. I thank God for contacts. I really do. I mean, if you, if you saw how blind, I, I showed my glasses to a lady today. I was in this office and I thought she might have a glasses repair kit because my glass, one of the screws in my glasses had fallen out. And she goes, yeah, I do. I said, oh, great. I went and grabbed my glasses. And then she went, wow, are you allowed to drive? I'm thankful for contacts, but is it a sin to wear it? Because they're not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. You see the danger of you? I heard that, Jay. Must have all you glasses wearers. All right, now, let there be no divisions among you. All right, okay. But at the same time, the word psalm could be translated, not just the whole book of psalms, but also especially the ones with musical instrumentation. Real quick, go to Psalm 4 and look at the headings. And by the way, in the psalms, the headings are in the original text. Psalm 4. Look at the heading of Psalm 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Do you see it? The beginning of this psalm actually told the worship leaders that this one was to be done with stringed instruments. Go to Psalm 5. To the choir master. For who? For the flutes. A psalm of David. Here, they told him this one would be played with flutes. Psalm 6. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, according to the Seminith, a Psalm of David. Some people think the Seminith might be an eight-stringed uh, harp or whatever. 
Some people say stringed instruments, that's electric guitar, baby, right there, there it is, we're good. <laughs> Again, don't try to read your preferences into the scriptures, just let the scriptures speak for themselves. But Psalms, when it says, you sing, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and speak to another with Psalms, I'm going to show you in, in a little bit the importance of really understanding how valuable the Psalms are. Because most of us today don't even read the Psalms, and we ignore the Psalms. And if you ignore the Psalms, you're going to miss out on prophecy. You're going to miss out on prophecies about the last days, things that are to come. You're not going to fully understand about Jesus if you don't read the Psalms. On top of that, the word that we trans translate hymns refers to songs of praise for God. They're actually in the Psalms, but they're songs of praise to God that declare who He is and what He's done. All right. Um, for example, now these could be accompanied by instruments, but many of them, many times these were done a cappella. Write these down. I don't have time to go there because there's somewhere I want to wrap up with tonight. Write this down and go look. In Mark chapter 14, verse 26, the Bible talks about how in the upper room, after they had sung a hymn, they went out to the garden. Most likely it wasn't with stringed instruments and everything. They sang an a cappella song. And they, but again, not every hymn is supposed to be a cappella. But some of them were. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas are sitting in prison. And what are they doing? Singing. They're singing hymns to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 is another one. You can go see that for yourself as well. It talks about in their church, in their, in, in their disorganization of their worship service, everybody has a word of, of prophecy or a hymn or whatever. They're all fighting over who was going to get to show off in the service kind of a thing. Yes, ma'am. I just want to ask one question about sure. that. Mm -hmm. And there was one I decided I didn't like because the music was very contemporary, mm -hmm. loud, band. So I decided... I, Are you asking if you were wrong by doing that? Are you asking that question? I guess I am. Okay, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because everybody else has been afraid to ask it. <laughs> no, you weren't. But listen, you were if you yayad about it all the way out. You see what I'm saying? We still have preferences. We have to learn now to let the Spirit, for some, the Spirit of God might say, that's not where I have you to be. That's okay. Are they wrong for the kind of music that they play? There's no such thing as Christian music, folks. There's music. There are Christian lyrics. But there's no such thing as Christian music. There's nothing wrong with saying, I prefer the music here to here. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I'll get right to you in a second. But there is a problem when we say this church is better because the music here is better. And we all have fallen into that a time or two. It, there's nothing wrong with saying that what they do is great. That's what they exactly. But how you handle it will show. That's what this passage is really dealing with in the different types of music. How you handle it will show whether or not the spirit of God is in, actually, folks, in the context as God is saying, put on these virtues, he's given us one of the greatest opportunities to demonstrate compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness. It's our music in our church services. Folks, I got preferences. There are things I like more than others. I travel around and I'm in a different church every Sunday around the country. And trust me, there are some that I just like, man, I love that. That was awesome. There are others I'm thinking, wow, when's the preaching time going to start? You know, but... <laughs> How I handle it, how I handle it will be an opportunity to let the Spirit of Christ live through me. Folks, I'll put on humility. 
Oh, brother, didn't you love so-and-so solo? You know what? She sang to the Lord. <laughs> to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Folks, tell, let me tell you something. If I could do anything for this church that we're in and any church you're going to, stop the complaining about the music. Stop trying to fix the music. I, I never desired to ever be pastor again. But if I ever did, the paperwork would have to be rewritten ahead of time that said that anybody that complains about an area of ministry that is not their ministry will be dealt with just like they're committing adultery. Because you know what? That dissension is in the same list as adultery and fornication and orgies. It is. You go look at Galatians chapter 5. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Verses 19 and following. And it says fornication. Oh yeah. Orgies. Adultery. Dissensions. Faction. Envy. Strife. We'll confront somebody that's committing adultery, but we won't confront them when they're causing strife. If you're in the worship department of that church, you go ahead and do what God's called and gifted you to do. And if you're not, you keep your nose out of it because you're going to worship to the Lord. You go to worship to the Lord. And if you ain't in the properties committee, you can quit complaining about the color of the carpet. or anything. And wouldn't it be so cool if we all stopped worrying about everybody else's stuff and just worked in the area God's gifted us? And just a preacher, baby, just a preacher. <laughs> Spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. Yes, sir, go ahead. Uh, my question is not about the type of music. It's the words that you sing. But some songs to me are basically... God. You know what? And you know what? There are some songs that I would agree are not theologically even correct. They are. Now, the question is, is that your call? No. <laughs> That's where we have to be wise as serpent, but harmless as doves. We sometimes have to just say, you know what? This isn't my place. But there are some people that think it's their place to have a say. And, well, I think that I, you know, don't go there. Yes. Mm -hmm. But um, you have Song of Deborah, you have Song of Moses, you know. And That's where we're going next. That's where we're going next. The spiritual songs are the ones that are actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it's actually Odies Pneumaticus. It's songs of the Spirit. There are times that the Spirit of God just took over someone and they just started erupting in praise. When Mary sang her Magnificat, she wasn't quoting a book of Psalms. When Miriam and the song of Moses, there are times till these praise songs, they're not that bad if they're of the spirit and they're from someone singing to God. Again, years ago when I was pastor in, in Chicago, um, this guy came up to me after the, one of the services and we had sung as the deer pants for the stream of water. You know that chorus, right? This guy comes up and says, I don't like the music. I said, well, which one? He said, the as the deer pants for the stream of water crap. Who wrote that? <laughs> and I said, uh, David. And I took him right to where it was in the Psalms, because it's a word-for-word -word quote from the Psalms. And that guy goes, well, I stepped in it, didn't I? I go, yeah. <laughs> we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And we're to admonish each other with psalms, songs that extol who God is and his greatness, even songs that his spirit pours on our heart. But they're all to be lined up with the word and they're for the purpose 
of unity. Yes, ma'am, and then we'll get to you. Go ahead. Exactly. You're right. Or to repentance. And so we need to get our pride out of the way. Right. To understand that just because we don't like it doesn't mean it's wrong. I'll be honest with you folks. I have, what she said was, who are we to say, well, I don't like this kind of music. It might be the exact thing that God uses to turn someone around. I, there have been times that I have listened to a preacher and thought to myself, wow. And people walk out going, I heard the Lord today and he changed my life or I got saved. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you reminded me. It ain't me. Yes, sir. Exactly. He loves it. If it yeah. So sing to him. There are times that while well, I'm in places and the song I don't think is real theologically correct, it's not my job to go up there and say, stop, stop. <laughs> it says right here in Psalms. No, actually, but there are times that I'll be silent and I'll say, Lord, I'm, I just want to focus on you right now. They got a little off, but you know what? You're a big God. You're going to take care of that. And you know what, folks? Let me tell you something that some of you probably already know. If you go back and listen to previous recordings of Jim Johnson, there are things I said that I don't agree with anymore. <laughs> there are things that I realize now are theologically incorrect and way off. But you know what? God uses me anyway. I'm just a little bit bigger than a donkey. Pick your animal. All right. <laughs> Let's wrap up with this. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Be gentle when you pick your animal. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> Luke 24. Look at verses 44 and 45. This is after Jesus' resurrection. It's on the same day. He's already chased the two men on the road to Emmaus. And he appears to them. In verse 44, Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Did you see it? Folks, I want to challenge you to begin to read the Psalms. And ask God to open your mind to the scriptures. You're going to find that some songs are Psalms of lament. Some songs are songs of thanksgiving. Some are just extolling God for who he is. We looked at Psalm 8 today at the place I spoke at lunch. Lord, when I look at the, your heavens and the work of your hands, what is man that you're mindful of? The son of man that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor. Folks, just spend some time. And when you get going through, you're going to get to chapter 22 of Psalms. And you're going to hear it start off with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you're going to keep reading and you're going to see that it says in there that David wrote hundreds of years before Jesus' crucifixion. All my bones are out of joint. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. They've cast lots for my clothing. They've pierced my hands and my feet. And you're going to realize that this songbook was actually prophecy. And if you haven't ever looked at Psalms, you're missing out on a lot. And by the way, some of the Psalms that talk about the second coming and the tribulation period and the millennial kingdom, they're pretty cool. So, folks, put on what God wants to produce through you and only he can do. Compassionate hearts, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiving one another, bearing one another, forgiving each other as the Lord's forgiven you. 
And don't let music be an area of division, but have it be one of the greatest opportunities for you to demonstrate the reality of Jesus in you. Some of the greatest people I've dealt with over the years in churches as a pastor were some of the godliest older folks that I knew didn't really like the music, but they loved me. And they loved me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the fact that your word, if we allow it to speak for itself and stop trying to put our words into it, actually takes us deeper than we ever planned. But Lord, I thank you that you said you'd do these things. And in, in the past, because uh, we didn't have any fully understood, and before we were in Christ, we couldn't ask for anything in your name, but now we can because of Jesus. And so we ask right now, Lord, that you would produce these things. We put them on by faith today. Just like we asked you to save us, and we believed you would, and we believe you did, we ask you today to do this in us. Father, may our wives and children and husbands and neighbors and people start to realize the difference in us. Not because we went to a special service and had a touch from God, but there's a genuine overtime progression of the reality of Christ within us. Well, may they see us be being filled with your spirit. Be in the continual process of being transformed and all these things like joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness, Lord, I know they're going to come out and we thank you for it. And Lord, in those days that our flesh wins, thank you that you still see the new us. And may we not beat ourselves up. And may we just take it as a learning opportunity to go again and put back on what it is you want to do by faith. And Lord, we thank you for the people who have been patient with the off and on schedule of this study. We thank you for their attendance tonight. And we also thank you that you'll bring us back in a couple weeks to look at some more. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.